Oh, Holy that was... fuck, that was nice. start this hoe up welcome to the micro machines podcast today we're going over the high mars because that's what gets dennis up yes so let's do some introductions people in order so you have me callum from new zealand and i have a very nice irish ale with me today planning on getting drunk later and yeah uh you got me garrison in kansas i've got some freshly brewed coffee, as well as a raspberry water on standby, working on a diorama. Uh, real quick, before the next person goes, is that Smithwick's Irish Ale? Uh, Kilkenny. Okay, it's a well. proper Irish Ale made in Ireland. Very well. Proceed. Alright, next up you got Jack, recording from the juiciest bed in Ontario. And I've got some well-aged water beside me. God, you are Ezra. Me in, you got me, Dennis, in Ontario, in the second juiciest uh, room, we will call it. I'm currently sipping on a super strong green tea. Wonderful gentleman. Dennis, take it away. Oh, right. I'm doing this thing, aren't we? All right. Well, before talking about the HIMARS, I think it's worth thinking for a moment about the role of rocket artillery systems in the Cold War. So, on to the first slide. So, Many countries had experience from the Second World War developed uh, complex, unguided rocket launchers. Rocket launchers have numerous advantages over conventional cannon-based artillery, such as their smaller size and their ability to transport, say, a larger payload over a longer distance than, say, your standard artillery shell. So with this, po- uh, with this podcast, we're going to be focusing primarily on the U.S.'s experience in the Cold War. So... In the late 1940s, the United States had exerted massive efforts to developing theater and strategic rocket artillery systems, such as this uh, ballistic rocket seen here on the right. Uh, it's, look at that. 1960s beauty right there. Looks like something you'd launch from your uh, backyard when you're like seven. Honestly, I did do that sort of thing. I launched the same sort of thing, but very small comparatively. I did it in uh, Boy Scouts, and my rocket landed in a farmer's field, and a goat ate my rocket. I swear to God. Good job. <laughs> Sat there at the no fence, way, dude. just watching it eat my rocket. <laughs> the U.S. Ar- the Ar- U.S. Army Corps of Artillery wants you, Garrison. <laughs> no, not the HIDF, baby. Let's go. <laughs> just loading grass into the rocket. So, uh, it goes. I guess I need to point out that basically for the early part of the Cold War, the U.S. Army had focused very much on strategic uh, rocket artillery systems. So you know, very big rockets, basically, with the idea being they would strike strategic Soviet targets if the Cold War ever turned hot. However, um, the issue here was that the tactical rocket artillery, had, which is kind of like your lower level artillery, had suffered a sort of lag in development until late in the Cold War. Um, now, earlier, uh, the U.S. had only put out one brand new design, which is this one. Let me get the uh, laser pointer out here. The XM-70E2. It's a 115 millimeter rocket launcher. The most HIDF-looking thing known to man. Um, so basically, it was a radical design which sought to combine rocket and cannon artillery concepts. It's fed by a revolver magazine. And basically, the idea is that you would you rotate the new rocket 
into the breach, push it forward, and you would elevate and fire it the uh, gun like a cannon. Um, it was a pretty stupid idea, but it did it importantly cemented U.S. interest in the idea of a smaller rocket launcher that could be used as tactical artillery. So that, that, Which, that's a uh, oh, a six that. shooter, basically. It is quite literally a six shooter revolver, but it fires rockets. So that would something like that actually have any recoil to it, or is it just like bit like a uh, bazooka recoilless where it just fires out sort of thing? That's a good I guess. Like, it does it have doesn't look like it has no a recoil spring. It, it, it doesn't have any. So basically, I guess you can think of it like... Uh, the on-toss of rockets. It, it's basically an on-toss. Yes, it, it's quite literally that, yeah. Right. It, it, it was a weird concept, the XM-72, because they thought, like, what if we took all the good things about a rocket and all the good things about cannon artillery and just combined them together? But then the result was something that was bad at both. I mean, the... At that point, you're just making a nebul warfare, but with one way to fire it instead of having six, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, just, just, just take the nebul warfare and put a guidance system on them. Well, it's funny you mention that, because by the 1970s, it became clear the U.S. Army needed some sort of rocket artillery system to complement its self-propelled howitzers like the M109. So basically, the issue came down to a lack of a powerful, accurate method of engaging hardened targets like bunkers. Uh, the problem was basically that you know the 155 shells from the M109 were usually good, but if you had a really hardened target, they probably weren't enough. And that is where the M270 MLRS came into play. So starting in 1983, the M270 acted as the primary rocket artillery system of the U.S. Army at the tactical level. Uh, it was built on the chassis of the M2 Bradley, and it first saw service in the Gulf War, where it was shown to be extremely effective. I love this thing. Look at that. I love the, that's a finished camo scheme on the bottom right, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's so cool because basically every uh, Western country on Earth, except Canada notably, uses this system. So like, you get all sorts of crazy camouflage. Why does Canada not use it? Because we're cheap and we can't afford it. Too busy buying maple syrup. <laughs> Too busy buying leopards. <sighs> Best tank in you're the just, world. You're just jealous, Garrison. I am jealous, you kidding me? I mean, the Abrams is great, don't get me wrong, and it looks like America, right? Like, it's rugged and shit. But the Leopard, ugh. It has that's that sort of je ne sais quoi. Yeah. No, no, it has like that sort M of mind comp look. It's <laughs> <laughs> one of the things I like about the M270. It looks so quintessentially American. Like, yeah, we built a box that just shoots out rockets 300 kilometers away. <laughs> Every day is 4th of July. <laughs> 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 yeah you're right <laughs> well as much as we all like the m270 there was one problem so the sheer weight of the uh this, this mlrs basically meant that it wasn't easy to transport because basically n almost to none almost none of the aircraft in the uscf could carry it uh this fact hampered its arrival into the theater of the gulf war which was did which was something that did not go unnoticed by the u.s army after the conclusion of the conflict it basically became clear that as good as the M270 was, there was a, there needed to be a vehicle that could be complemented, right? The same way it complemented the M109, there needed to be something that complemented this. Ideally, by using a lighter chassis to fire the same 227mm rockets, which were at the time in the process of being heavily upgraded to be compatible with advanced ballistic guidance systems. Told you guys I would talk about computers in this. Send it, buddy. We are not disappointed. Oh, that was it. That was it. I, I went easy on y'all this week. I feel blue-balled. You mentioned <laughs> computers. 
In fact, the idea of a light MLRS was actually not new because as early as I think it was the 1970s, uh, the 9th Infantry Division had already suggested the development of a light rocket launcher for use as a counter-battery system. And this was the genesis of the HIMARS. Oh, God. The system had to be smaller and lighter than the M270, which was not, which was effectively as resource intensive as a battle tank. Not only that, the HIMARS could not afford to sacrifice accuracy or range, meaning that would have to carry the same advanced fire computers and a large 227mm rocket launcher. So initially, a concept of the HIMARS was tested at the White Sands missile range using the same, basically the same rockets from the M270, but on the chassis of an Honest John ballistic missile launcher, which is pretty ironic because this truck actually carried a lot of the truck, the missiles that the U.S. Army would spend most of the early Cold War developing. Hmm. So, going into 1993, the HIMARS was developed privately by Lockheed Martin based on the experiences they had at White Sands, and by 1996, the U.S. government contracted Lockheed to continue its research. Basically, it went through a series of developments until 2003, where the HIMARS would enter serialized production. So maybe we should actually now talk about just what exactly the HIMARS is. So the HIMARS, also known as the High Mobility Artillery Rocket System, is basically two completely different systems that are slapped together. So the first is a modified FMTV truck, and the second is the rocket launcher itself which can fire three types of rockets, the GMLRS, Atacums, and PRSM, which I'm going to describe later in this slideshow. So unlike the M270, it's a wheeled vehicle, and due to its smaller proportions, including obviously its smaller ammunition load, it can be airlifted by a C-130, which has to just be the coolest thing ever. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Calum, uh, Australia's actually thinking of getting these. What's New Zealand got to say about that? <laughs> I think the best that we have is a couple of one one five fives. Yeah, maybe even only one oh five millimeter howitzers. I've got to say, even before they turned the truck into a HIMARS, the those trucks look damn sexy. I love the front, massive front windows. Yeah, especially in that Kark tan. I mean, oh, oh, shut up, Ezra. <laughs> Man, we're I all having a little tan. piece of Ezra today. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, got, oh, I gotta man. say the front, the front with the uh, when it's in the high Mars with the uh, small armored windshields, kind of make it look goofy. I mean, I get uh, the idea no, of like we don't want. I get that they don't want the crews to get like flash blindness, but at the same time, think about the drip. Think about the drip, man. What's Half that, the point uh... of going into war is looking good. Yeah, exactly. What's Ain't that wrong, circular buddy. antenna behind? Don't worry that, I believe, and I could be wrong on this, so like, feel free to correct me, anyone in the comments. Uh, so we'll get any of those. I believe that's basically one of the antenna used to communicate with satellites, because of course it's got a GPS guidance system, so mm -hmm. it needs to have a reliable way of communicating with the uh, US, I think it's US Air Force GPS satellites. Okay. So, yeah, I was going to say, uh, like that. That definitely won't be using like civilian type GPS because that might be a bit. You'd ask, you'd raise some questions if that was using GLONASS to um, calculate its position. Oh, funnily enough, actually, all of these just they, they, they say it's got an advanced GPS system. It's a dude with a Garmin, believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. you, you know what the GLONASS system is, eh? Russian. And it's yeah. terrible. It's so inaccurate, man. I hate it. And Galileo is somehow better than I use, I use it for my work. 
I'm so sorry. Well, I mean, I got to use the American stuff as well. Well, at any rate, uh, let's talk about the truck first, shall we? So basically, the FMTV is it's sort of like an umbrella designation um, for basically any truck used in the U.S. Army and U.S. Marine Corps that falls under the. Uh, let me see if I get this right. The family of medium tactical vehicles designation. So basically, these were created out of a program to standardize up basically kind of your U-Haul trucks for the U.S. military. So there's, I think, something ridiculous like 23 different designs of FMTV, and the HIMARS is just one of them. So most FMTV <coughs> trucks are derived from the Steyr 12M18, um, which is one of the trucks that we saw actually on the previous slide. And the FMTV used in the HIMARS is basically, basically the, what it comes down to is they added a huge amount of armor protection for it, a huge amount of blast protection, and they also added uh, significantly improved uh, navigation systems, GPS, and communication. Because again, with a lot of the HIMARS rockets, they're actually unguided, so all of the guidance computations are done in the truck. Oh, they're unguided? Well, uh, actually, uh, I think we're going to get into that here. Yes. Okay. So let's start talking about the uh, fun part of the HIMARS. So the three different types of rockets. So the standard ammunition of the HIMARS, like the M270, is the 227mm GM LRS rocket. So originally developed for the M270, it was unguided, and you still can get unguided variants of it. But modern variants now have been substantially modified so they can be GPS guided. They have incredible accuracy and precision, with, an incre- with the official figure stating that a HIMARS can hit a target 92 kilometers away with one, uh, within one meter with one of these rockets. Holy. Yeah. So just picture that, 92 kilometers. And it has a deviation of one meter from the target. Fucking wild. Now, I, I will actually say, I'm going to admit to something. I fudged the numbers on this. So in reality, it can actually hit a target 300 kilometers away within one meter of accuracy, but the GMLRS can only go up to 92 kilometers. So it's talking about the attackums uh, accuracy, but the accuracy would be the same for the GMLRS. So just picture how much of a tactical advantage that is, being able to basically pick and choose any point on a map within 92 kilometers and just dump six of these on it in quick succession. And basically that's what makes the HIMARS so great. And how much explosive do those rounds have, those rockets? I believe it's about 20 kilos. It's something in that range, about 20-ish kilos. And it depends a lot because there are a variety of different rocket warheads. There are, there's like cluster, uh, cluster anti-tank. I think they even developed a mine-laying version of this as well. They prototyped it at least. If you really need to destroy a hardened target, uh, the GMLRS may fall short. The Attackums is the tool for the job. So this is a 610 millimeter missile. Uh, the HIMARS can only carry one. Now, an interesting fact, before I get into more details about this, is basically, um, you can see here, actually, so there's the HIMARS carrying an Attackums, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So look at the size of the rocket compared to the truck. Jesus. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. That's ridiculous. So here's an interesting fact about it. So with the HIMARS, basically the way it works is it has this quick uh, change system for reloading ammunition. The idea is that you basically, to improve its tactical effectiveness for counter-battery fire, they needed to reload the rocket pods quickly. So instead of taking 
say each rocket and then individually reloading them into it. Yep. Yes. What they'll do is they'll actually take an entire rack full of six rockets, slide the old rack out, put the new one in, and they can change it in something ridiculous like under 10 minutes. Well, the issue here is basically the Attackums is borderline a strategic weapon, right? It's, It's incredibly important. And if you were, say, the Russians, you'd probably not want to be hit with one of these because, again, it was I got a range of about uh, let me see here 500 no 600 400 kilometers i got it wrong 400 kilometers so complete so so imagine right you'd probably target any of the HIMARS you could see carrying this rocket so they've figured out a system for disguising them basically the way it works is from the exterior and this is with the cover off um the attackums missile looks like it's just a set of the standard gmlrs missiles when in fact there's only one it's basically just a little deception there that they employ to prevent people from being able to find out which one's carrying the big big missile but at any rate it's a 610 millimeter missile this one has both inertial and or gps guidance and Oh my god, it can be carried. It's got this shopping list of different warheads it can carry. Let's see here. It's got, <laughs> just to give you a little uh, a little appetite, a little appetizer, it can have a penetrating, so like a high penetration, more or less anti-armor warhead. Uh, it can have various types of clusters. I actually didn't bother to list all the different types of cluster munitions it could carry because there's so many. Or a, a conventional high explosive warhead. A good way of thinking about the Attackums is it's basically like a NATO Scud but a lot more accurate. However, even that is not enough. In the future, the HIMARS will also fire the PRSM, or Precision Strike Missile, which is a GPS-equipped replacement for the Attackums. It's got a range of up to 500 kilometers, has an area warhead, area effect warhead, and, importantly, it is hypersonic. So here hypersonic. is basically, if you thought the Attackums was big, this is the PRSM. Yeah. You versus the guy, or actually the guy she tells you not to worry about versus you. Yes. But um, yeah, it's incredible. So this is basically developed as a counter to all of the the, the theoretical, say, Russian and Chinese anti-missile systems. Uh, what's one of them? Uh, Callum, what's that Russian anti-aircraft? The Panzer, isn't that what it's called? The Which one? Yeah, the Russian uh, truck that carries all the anti-aircraft stuff. It's called the Panzer, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. So basically, in response to uh, Russian and Chinese improvements in anti-missile technology, uh, they've developed this. Basically, the solution is just go faster. So it's going to go a much further distance, (laughs) a lot faster, um, with a much larger warhead. And basically, one of the important things about PRSM, even though it's longer, it is slightly smaller in diameter than the uh, Attackums. This is not actually perfectly to scale. But the advantage is that the HIMARS can carry two rather than just the one. So just get a little bit extra bang for your buck. You know, now, normally I advocate for cutting our military budget because we just have double so it. much. Double it. But yeah, seeing double shit like this is like, <laughs> fuck it, send it. Oh, well, let's talk about the service then, shall we? So, as a lighter, more mobile rocket system, the HIMARS saw limited use in Afghanistan, where it was successfully used to target high-level Taliban commanders in Kandahar province. Uh, the, basically, the reason why this got deployed was that 
it's a lot easier to fly one of these than because if you've got a say a C one thirty, you can take this basically anywhere in the world if you've got an airfield to refuel at. And that's one of the important things about the HIMARS is that unlike the M two seventy, which is effectively just an Abrams tank in terms of what you need to get at places, this you can take it basically anywhere, which is incredible. You know, it gives this amazing high precision fire artillery capability anywhere in the world within twenty four hours. Now, did did you get a count earlier of how many the United States alone has? They have. Hold on, because I I think I got a figure, but I don't know if it includes uh, NATO allies. So let me see here. So they have, I think, in excess of two hundred HIMARS. They're basically distributed amongst a variety of brigades. So in the army, they've got the seventeenth, eighteenth, forty first, and seventy fifth artillery brigades. Uh, they all have that. Um, as well as the Marines, the first, uh, second, fifth, third, and second uh, Marine battalions have them. So, like, there's easily at least 200 of these in service. I think they're pushing for at least 500 more by 2025. So, just put this into perspective: the United States, for a high deployment tempo, is one third of our military in a combat zone, right? One third of three hundred is obviously a hundred. Now, say seventy-five percent of them are up and working. That's seventy-five HIMARS at one time. It's a lot of fucking rockets. One of the great thing about the FMTV is it's just so damn reliable too. And that's not well, me that, being well, sarcastic. On, These are great yeah. trucks. Oh, well, I mean, I well, I yeah. agree. I, I got to see them out at Pendleton. They're they're freaking awesome. Yeah. But uh, I did um, dude, just. Ah, uh, that's a lot of fucking rockets. Just that alone, seventy-five of those, dude. It's oh important God. to note that with the advantage, the advantage of the Heimers is that it's only got six rockets, so it's not really like an area suppression weapon. But that's not what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to you you find say, and we'll get into this. This is a bit of foreshadowing. An ammunition dump, for instance, you point at it, you click it, and within thirty minutes, it's gone. Like that's the amazing thing, and that's with one rocket. Um, I know the Marines are using the HIMARS. I think one of the reasons why they want to use the attackums on the HIMARS is because you can fit it with that penetration warhead, which actually makes it amazing for targeting ships. Funny that. Convenient. Can you imagine being like a Chinese uh, battle, like destroyer that gets sniped by one of these? I was going to make a racist comment, but never mind. <laughs> Right then. So, uh, as well, in the fight against ISIS, the HIMARS system was deployed to southern Turkey and Iraq, firing well over 400 rockets into Syria against ISIS targets. But, of course, the reason why HIMARS has become a household name, and the reason why we're all here, obviously, is because of its use by Ukrainian forces. So, it's a significant weapon for the Ukrainians because it allows them to target and destroy Russian uh, targets of operational significance without being effectively being uh, counter-batteried. Because you're just so, so damn maneuverable. I mean, that's one of the great things about it. It's all automatic. So you drive to a spot, plug in the coordinates of the thing you want to hit. Within about a minute, the first rocket is off. You can choose to fire more or less. Like, you know, give it another minute to fold the launcher and you're gone. You can't counter battery fire that thing. Which is amazing. Yes. So, so like, bas basically, by the time you've fired and you're gone, the missile's still going. So by the time it hits, they you're you're not even near it. Oh, absolutely. That's one of the amazing things. If you're firing, say, the GMLRS with up to its 92 kilometer range, like you're gone. You're gone. You can fire multiple rockets and still be gone before they even hit. 
and there's basically no warning of them being fired because you're so far away from the front lines. That's that's so because think about the the M triple seven, the the amount of time it takes to get it to its spot, unload it from a seven ton, get it set up, fire a, at least one round, and then pick back up. You're you're already getting fucking rounds downrange on you. Exactly. So, uh, on June 1st, 2022, the United States announced it would send HIMARS with the GMLRS, which is kind of like the plane Jane rockets, to Ukraine. And since then, the HIMARS has been used to great effect targeting Russian uh, targets of significance, especially ammunition dumps. So, just to give you a little taste, they have been directly credited, and this is where they know for a fact a HIMARS fired the rocket to destroy the stump. With the destruction of tens of thousands of artillery rounds and over 20 million small arms rounds. Holy shit. Now, that's what I you think, call a logistical nightmare. And I think that was just in the summer of 2022, for reference. Fuck. Yeah, so this is, this is just, I'll point out, with the short-range rockets. And there has been talk about the U.S. sending the Atakams to Ukraine, in which case, like... There is no place safe uh, for the Russian forces, not even within Russia itself, which I think is the main reason why they haven't sent it yet, because they're afraid that some Ukrainian commander is going to pull the trigger on Belgorod. Fuck Belgorod, hit Moscow. Actually, never mind. The Russians have a good enough time bombing Belgorod themselves. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, like they're doing that themselves. (laughs) Critical support to those uh, VKS pilots. We thank you for your service. That would be insulting, wouldn't it? Just sending a near middle over to the other side going, cheers for that. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck, I hope somebody does. But now, let's talk about our favorite part. The models. Yes! (gasps) The pickings are slim. Unfortunately. So, if you want to do a 35th scale HIMARS, you've basically got one game in town, and that's the trumpeter kit. Now, in all fairness, I've heard it's really, really good. Like, this is one of the newer Trumpeter kits. Um, very well made from what I've heard. And there are a lot of really good aftermarket sets for things like sagged wheels for this. So, mm. definitely, that would be a pretty good option. If you are more into the 72 scale side of things, uh, FC Model Trend makes one that's 3D printed. Oh, no shit. You gonna do it? Oh, hell no. I never touched anything FC Model Trend after that <clears throat> experience I had with the uh, M1917 conversion kit. <laughs> that's Nothing right. Fair. That's right. Yeah. So though, so that one that's pictured the trumpeter one. That's the six. That's just like the general uh, rocket. That's a six it? shooter. Yep. That's a six shooter. How believe... easy would it be to like do even scratch build a conversion into like firing the other ones? The attackums stupid yeah. easy because literally remember when I said how the attackums is carried in the sa- in a case that's meant to look like it's a six shooter. Yeah. So that you can't target it. Yeah, that's basically so. Unless you wanted to show it firing the attackums, you actually wouldn't really have to do anything. Okay, so let me make sure I get this right. If I bought that kit today, yes. I could make it as if it's in Ukraine. One hundred percent. The ones that've been sent to Ukraine have no yes. modifications whatsoever. Yeah, except for having that awesome creepy grin on them, which you would have to do. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of creepy grin. Yes! Oh! <laughs> I love that. What has ammo done dump in the past tense? <laughs> Fucking perfect. Oh, that is so good. 
Yeah, but that, my friends, was the M142 HIMARS. Just so, uh, yeah, just so everyone knows, Jack unfortunately had to go. His internet was being kind of goofy. That that's a Canadian moment right there. Yes, it is. America, roar! Oh well, and now we're down to three. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Autoloader Decals. Have you wandered around the shelves of your local hobby store and found that perfect model kit? Great tooling, fun to build, and look. You remember seeing the subject. Perhaps it was a truck in the ubiquitous white UN paint scheme in the newspaper, or maybe it was a Sherman tank from your local armor unit. Everything is lining up for a fantastic new project, one with a more interesting connection to yourself, instead of a project derived from a history book. Then you open the kit, and there are none of those specific markings to be found. Water slide decals really put the final touch on a model. And unfortunately for the model maker, most kit manufacturers won't put too much time into designing decals that produce a finished model in anything but its most stereotypical form. That's why Autoloader Decals exists. It is their sincere hope that you'll be able to find as much enjoyment using these special water slides as they have. Autoloader Decal pro products are primarily focused on Canadian subjects, but in general if you're looking for markings that represent vehicles from lesser known parts of modern history, chances are you might just be able to find something worth trying. The water slide decals are printed through an inkjet printer and sealed with a high quality varnish to ensure their strength on the model. Unlike most other water slides, these decals only need to be submerged for a few seconds and can be placed right onto the model. They are incredibly tough and won't yellow over time. For an added benefit, decals intended for 1 to 35 scale are treated with a special varnish that gives a subtle painted on look that's both in scale and more realistic than other brands offerings. All the products currently in production are listed in the store page. If you have a custom design you would like to order, the best way of making this order is to send an email through the contact page. Generally, the cost of a custom order will be 40-50% to 50 higher than any products that are in stock to account for labour. Also, as a special deal, if you, have, if you are ordering a set of custom decals and you mention the Micro Machines podcast, you'll receive a free exclusive MMP Pinju decal with your order. So next time you're looking to build a specific or unique vehicle, look towards Autoloader decals. Just go to www.autoloadermodels.ca for all your water slide decal needs. And now, back to the show. Time to talk about the hobby news. Absolutely. <gasps> Bang chewing. Hey, yo. So you know, yo, you, know how Man, you know how Meng oh. has deviated from the righteous path of the armor? Mm -hmm. So now they are doing more aircraft and mainly uh, a lot of uh, modern era. So this is the Chinese. Oh, fuck. Hang on. I've got to I bring think it's up the J20, page. isn't it? Yes, the J20 Veyron? Vey... I don't know. Yeah, the V E Y R N. That's like Veyron, isn't it? Yep, Veyron. Yeah, so of course it's main quality and it's a. It's a pretty cool looking uh, jet, actually. Doesn't like Sweden or somebody have one that looks just like this? You're thinking of the vegan. Yes. The yeah, the vegan. Yeah. yeah. I, so I watched a video the other day about how someone thinks they should send the vegan instead of F 16s to Ukraine. Yeah. Well, yeah. I will say I'd actually build this. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of stealth fighters that actually work, which is why I'll never build a, a Su 57. But from what <laughs> I understand. You know what? I'm going to hand it to the Chinese. 
to the, to the engineers who worked on this, well done because it is actually pretty decent as a stealth jet. Yeah, it does look though like F twenty two or F thirty five, but they got the wings back to front. <laughs> it does. <laughs> like it, it, it kind of gives that look of like something's wrong here. We've missed a step. Yeah, it's like those uh, two and one kits. You kind of mix the parts a little bit. <laughs> they did a little bit yeah. of chip bashing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hey so, guys, this is my uh, one to forty-eight scale uh, F thirty-five. Just ignore the dual engines and the wings are backwards. <laughs> so I wonder what Ming uh, aircraft are like because I know the armor is supposed to be really good, isn't it? I've talked to a bunch of guys. You know how they make the uh, F 18s right? The various F 18s Yep. So I talked to a few customers at the store who bought those, the forty-eight scale uh, F A eighteens. And they said, you know, the detail was good. They they turned into good models when you were done with them, but definitely a lot to be desired on the engineering front. Basically, you had some gaps. Um, again, detail was good, but there were certain engineering issues with just things like part fit uh, that were not the best. Hmm. However, I say that this would be a really hard aircraft to mess up considering it's like five different shapes and they're all flat. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It'll be that should be pretty easy. Okay, Bombing, what's... don't let me down. <laughs> what's next? Uh, yeah. so, I know, but it is. I mean, it's Tacom, so I'll give them a pass. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, Dennis. No. In fairness, they're doing no. something interesting with this. What are they doing? They have full interior, and if you're going to do the interesting. full interesting, no, no, no. If you do the full interior, the roof plate. They supply a clear part so you can see inside it. Oh, yeah. I had, a, I had a rye field model uh, Sturm Tiger that had the same deal because it gave you the fighting compartment interior. Yeah. And you could so put that, the clear piece on. So that's the only reason I'd buy one of these is just so you can make the interior and have it clear so you can see inside. That is a... That is kind of cool. Like that, I wish a lot of companies did that more of having like, you know, if they're going to have a full interior, just have a plate that is a clear just on one side and you can display it if you want or not. You know, just... Give us the option. We want options. Yeah, that's fair. But otherwise, <laughs> yeah. Link. So this is uh. So you have the uh, early, mid, and late production for all listeners who don't know what we're talking about. This is the Jagpan Jagpanzer thirty eight T Hetzer. Although they shouldn't be calling it the Hetzer. The Hetzer was o- it was only called the Hetzer after the war, not during. So, you know, get your naming right. Uh, so this is definitely going to be high quality because it is Tacom. It does have link and length tra- tracks, and yeah, I mean, uh, they should—they don't look too difficult to build, and there is not a lot of discernible difference between an early, mid, and late production Hetzer a thirty-eight T. I think it's just mainly the gun manlet, isn't it? I I'm not sure. So, yeah, can you still like, know? Don't care. It's a thirty-eight T Love it. The late has got a different exhaust. I don't know. There's not there's not a lot of difference, but. Yeah, because you can then probably take one of these and convert it into what country used the DDAT after the war? Oh, uh, Switzerland. Yes, the G18, wasn't it? Those are kind of neat. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. So yeah. Might be worth trying to do that as well, turning a DDAT into a G18. But otherwise, yeah. So, I mean, it's TACOM, so you know it's going to be good. Yeah. Props to TACOM. Well yeah. done. Ooh. So, up oh, next, my. we've got a whole lot of special hobby stuff. Some very interesting things. Oh, they're so, special, all right. Oh, yeah. So, in order, they are releasing a CH-37C 
uh, Deuce UM, USMC, that is a big-ass helicopter used by the Marines. They have an AF-2 Guardian in a firebomber configuration with some very cool red and white markings. i got to say, they, they look pretty awesome. Uh, that one is in 48 scale, and it's got full interior, including a full engine. Uh, the engine comes in, there's a, I think that one's got uh, resin parts for the engine, and it's the Guardian's got uh, it's got the same as the Corsair. It's got two engines um, mounted um, par- um, parallel, isn't it? That's Not parallel. such a cool plane. Water bombers are so neat. We need more water bomber kits. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're also releasing the Nakajima KI-43-2 um, Ko or Utsu. Um, this one is special because the two markings, you have one for the Thai Air Force and one for the the puppet government that the Japanese installed in China after their invasion. And that one, the in the uh, roundel, is very, very cool. It's uh, it's round with horizontal lines with uh, yellow, white, red, and black in them. And a little bit of blue as well. They're very um, artistic. Uh, that kit as well also comes with two fuselages, so you, so you can make either type, because it's two types of aircraft in it. So, and then they also include like this one's decal has got this big uh, Japanese writing along the side of the fuselage. It looks really cool. So, but that's that's interesting. They're giving us uh, two lesser known aircraft markings. You know, you, I didn't like, even know Japan had allies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, not a lot of people know that Thailand was on Japan uh, Japan's side. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm looking at Thailand a lot differently right now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's just like maybe the ladyboards aren't so bad. <laughs> uh, what else? So we have in seventy second, they are releasing a Mirage Three C, the Arm de Air, whatever. It's French, whatever. So it's just a, a French Delta Wing fighter. The uh, Mirage is a pretty cool looking aircraft, so it might be worth getting. Something a bit different. They in their Navy series, they are releasing a PT boat weapon set number five, the thirty-seven millimeter M4 autocannon. Uh, this is the thirty-seven millimeter autocannon found in the P thirty-nine Air Cobra. So it so it features a large magazine that fits on the top, and is an automatic thirty-seven. So that goes. In that the front would be. That would just be cool to have on like a HIDF. Uh, like if you made like a HIDF boat, yeah, like a little ship or something, had it against a dock, you could put that at the edge of the dock as like yeah, a dock or like a coastal defense position or something like that. Yes. Yep. And then lastly, from Special Hobby, although it's not really Special Hobby, but it's one of their affiliates, is the uh, oh fuck, I can't read it now. The sha- the I, oh, the sha- I'm, gonna, I'm gonna mispronounce it, the Shahid because it's it means martyr in Arabic. Yeah. Very ironic. <laughs> Yeah, but it's the it's the it's the uh, it's, oh, where's it from? Iran, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's an Iranian kamikaze drone. Yeah, so that is coming out. That is in forty eighth, I believe, and that that's a resin kit. That's full resin. So for all those who want to get one, that's flak where you can. bait. Flak bait. <laughs> it's funny that they have uh, you know Arabic something named the martyr because. A lot of Arabic countries have a lot of martyrs, thanks to the U.S. That went dark. Well, we're just a marine. 
Moving on, come get your boy. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on, uh, we have another 30-second scale aircraft from Trumpeter. This is the Devastator torpedo torpedo bomber. That's cool. Oh, yeah, this looks cool. Uh, We have two markings, one for Midway, and the other is a interwar bright yellow and metallic finish look, which um, I think if I had this kit, you'd know which one I'd go for. Oh, yes. So that is a really cool scheme. Yep, uh, it features photo etch, uh, full interior detail for the cockpit. Uh, the canopy comes in either one piece or multiple pieces. So you can have it open and closed, whatever you want. And yeah, so we've got a so finally some interesting aircraft coming out. The Devastator is a pretty cool uh, aircraft. We did touch on it a little bit on the Avenger episode, but not much because it didn't have much of a life, especially at Midway. Not a lot came back. <laughs> oh, I think you did You didn't. Hey, I think I think out of like forty-eight that went, there was like I don't know six, seven, six, six that came returned, back, and yeah. most of them were damaged. Yeah, and never to be used again. But honestly, thirty-second scale Devastator oh. with the uh, interwar markings, I would do in a heartbeat. I you I know, love the look. You know what would be really cool to do? What have the one from Midway? On a uh, aircraft carrier deck with Ooh. it like fucked up, like like it just landed. That would be pretty good. Actually, yeah. Who? Someone needs to do that. Someone needs to make a thirty-fifth scale aircraft carrier section as a kit. Fuck it. Just get a uh, just get some balsa wood planks. Put that down. Actually, that would then... make it historically accurate because for some reason the Americans used wood for their decks and not concrete. Be- because we're st- stupid what do you why is this even a discussion <laughs> it makes the armor piercing bombs go through so much easier <laughs> critical support for u.s navy ship designers uh they're they're really helping the good guys here yeah yeah <laughs> they're being sustained there's been uh, they're hitting sustainability goals by using a re- renewable resource i wonder if the uh uss essex is energy star certified <laughs> Uh, this one's uh, definitely going to get a lot of people interested, including Dennis. So you, ah. so Tamiya are releasing the Leopard Two A Six Ukraine Edition. So it's going to be a. Are they are, the A Six has managed to get to Ukraine now, aren't they? No, not uh, yet. Not well, yet. I don't even know if they're yeah, actually they're, sending them yet. No, 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 no. They're they're in. Oh, the A Six actually. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. The A Fours are in. I think the A Six they're set. They're definitely sending them, but just. The Germans are taking their sweet, merry time uh, stripping everything of worth from them before they send them. See, now, hear, hear I mean, me out, okay? just going to be hit up with ERA anyway. Yeah, exactly. So, everyone's going to shit on me, but hear me out. Let I will cook. probably never buy this kit. It's and it's fine. a nice reason for, to me, to re-release what was a really good Leopard 2A6 kit. Like, it's a very nice kit. But if you're expecting, like, contact on it, not happening. It's basically Anything. just the same kit. Yeah, it, it, no, it's, it's, it's the exact same kit, except the exact same the kit with white crosses. Different. Yeah, the 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 instructions show putting on the German decals. Not even they don't even have an updated section for the uh, the Ukraine. I'm pretty decals. sure they're going to update that section. They, like you'll probably get an updated manual and uh, background information, but yeah. See that they're, they're like, missing. They're missing out by not including ERA blocks in the kit. Just, well, even I don't know just if it's for the meme. Can... Just for the yeah. meme. Do it. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, this kit isn't in production yet, 
So I'm not saying we're going to see contact. I'm not saying that. But we'd like if to. if we were going to see Con- Tamiya do that, it would definitely be here. And I have a feeling you can quote me on this. They're probably when it comes to like the production version of this, it's going to come with contact, or it's going to come with like some modification, like Ukrainian figures. I I hope it something man because when i first saw it i was like okay that's cool and then i was like wait a second and i looked into it I'm like it's just decals like come on hey dennis dennis mm-hmm. business business opportunity you have the you have the uh contact loaded decals is you've heard it here first we're just going to be making uh contact one bricks all day all night uh, if you want some hit my instagram up and i'll send you some contact one for this see what you could see what you could do dennis if you, if you get one of these and then you model a blocks to fit on all the panels that's what i was thinking yeah yeah and then just hmm. sell them as like the an upgrade kit hmm. business you know smart thinking business hmm. model hmm. of course now we're gonna have to do this before i release the episode but hey hey tamia <laughs> hey look what your boy's doing <laughs> <laughs> uh so i just saw this one while perusing the tamia magazine so this is uh... lanmo <laughs> model uh, releasing an upgrade for the Mark Sherman. Sherman, the crab mind flail to uh, be Normandy. added on. Uh, and, um, oh God, it, it looks good, doesn't it? It looks good. I need it. See what? I need it. I really, I want to make a Sherman crab just because with the, uh, the change, you could, uh, probably glue them in a way to make it look like they're actually flailing. You know, it's in motion. That's what something you do I want to try and do. You get, uh, Matt Mod Podge, and you have them. You glue them. You put glue all around them. Uh, put it. Put them on tin foil. Have the chains in like the motion you want them. Put the Mod Podge on it. That way, when you pull it off, it's all clear. And then you can glue on dirt, on, or you can put mod. You can put like dirt onto that Mod Podge as it dries. That way, it looks like it's dirt shooting it up, and it's yeah. in like a set position. Yeah, but yeah, if you if you have an M4 Sherman. Look for this upgrade kit because it looks incredible. And yeah. What next? Oh no. And <laughs> from Edard, we have the. This is the. Uh, who makes. It's not Mitsubishi, is it? It's the. Mitsub- yeah, it's Mitsubishi. Yeah, it puts a respect on my boy Mitsubishi's name. Come on. All right. I'm, I'm surprised you just drive a Mitsubishi, bro. I. I I unironically, my dream car is a Mitsubishi Mirage with a, a Prius powertrain in it. When did this become your dream car? It's always been my dream car. Okay. Anyway, so, like yeah, it's, Prius. <laughs> so it's the Mitsubishi A6 M2 N variant. The N standing for float for some reason. Hmm. Any ideas why, Dennis? It's just whatever. I'm just so lost in the sauce looking at this box art. I'm, yeah. I'm going to act a fool with this one. And this is a dual combo kit as well. Oh, no. <laughs> we just Dennis will get this kit and we'll never see him again. Oh, no, no, no. It's even got the ladies on the box art. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got to say, the, the green camo, I'd love to do that one. That one looks amazing. Normally, I'm not a fan of the green camera on the zeros, but in this boxer, they've actually done it really well. Like, I'd, I'd yeah. do this. Yeah. So, this is also... In, so, the Americans called this the roof. Roof? Yeah, whatever. Roof air? Yeah, close eh. enough. Whatever. 
It's the floating zero. Enough said. <laughs> I'm buying it. You should too. And we have some. These are. Hang on. I've lost it. Where is it? I've lost my notes. Hobby Boss. That's what it is. So, Hobby Boss are releasing uh, two 35th scales. We have a sort of paper panzer in the form of the Tiger II, but with the Henschel turret mounting the 105mm cannon that was prototyped for the Tiger II, but they never really got around to doing it. Either um, real, real quick, either that, that guy up there is a little too small, or like that he looks just a cunt hair too small for that tank yeah i don't think they got that one scaled properly but anyway so we've got a tiger 2 with a 105 millimeter gun in it um that was originally prototyped later in the war but i believe they found that the gun was too big for the turret it made it a bit too small inside and at that point the 105 what basically performed as as well as the uh long long barreled 88 so it wasn't really necessary to try and redesign it to fit a new gun that basically was bigger but did the same. But it's a good what-if. They're also releasing the Russian 9A52-2 Smirch Air Multiple Rocket Launcher. Yeah. Discount the HIMARS. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the, 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 the HIMARS from Wish. Bro thinks he high mobility. <laughs> Although I will say the truck carrying it does look pretty cool. It does. Like, it's got a weird sort of Thunderbirds look to it. But, yeah. So, two interesting things. And that is the hobby news for this week. Um, I'll take over for a bit now. So, I figured we'll try a new segment just to try and get a bit more model talk into our episodes. And I'd figure we'll do a small 10-minute segment talking about the history of various model companies because some of them are it's always good to know where, the, where your uh, hobby comes from and talk about different brands and whatnot. So I figured we'd just do a model company history segment and see if you guys like it or not. So I am going to start the first one off and I've decided I'm going to talk about Frog, model, car, model aircraft company, because it is um, basically one of the first. So... <clears throat> International Model Aircraft Limited, or IMA, was established in 1931 by Charles Wilmot, Wilmot and Joe Monsoor. They launched the Interceptor Mark IV semi-scale rubber band flying model, uh, rubber band powered flying model in 1932 under the Frog brand name, which is believed to stand for flies right off the ground. IMA formed a marketing partnership with toy companies Line Bros Limited that same year and subsequently introduced other frog brand flying models. In 1936, IMA released the world's first plastic model construction kits under the Frog Penguin name. Uh, they called it Frog Penguin because these were frog models that didn't fly. And, you know, penguins don't fly. Yeah. Not a good joke. Anyway. These 1 to 72 scale aircraft models were available in kit form or pre-built form and were made of cellulose acetate. Although the models were non-flying, they were very popular. The number, 28, uh, number 21P Empire Flying Boat was an early release in 1938. During World War II, IMA produced flying models for target practice and 1 to 72nd scale aircraft recognition models. 
The penguin range was discontinued in 1949, but a new range of frog polystyrene kits were introduced in 1955. The company issued a wide variety of aircraft, ship, and car models in various scales during the 1950s and 60s. Starting, starting in 1963, the 72nd scale became the standard for aircraft models. The production of both scale and non-scale flying models continued until the early 1960s. So, as you can see on the right, we have, that is the box art, box art for one of the original models. And one of the original kits from 19, the 1930s. This one isn't the uh, number 21P fly, Empire flying boat. This is the, uh, twin, the number 23 Singapore flyer. But... It shows you that that is a that is a kit from 1936, which uh, that one's actually on sale at the moment for like 600 euros. But that is an original kit. It has uh, it came with uh, cement, paint, every everything in it, and yeah, looks pretty neat, doesn't it? I, I actually want one just to try it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so it looks very uh, rugged. Like, yeah. <laughs> it looks cool though if the industrial revolution was a model kit pretty much so by the 1970s frog had a frog had an extensive one to 70 second lineup that included many obscure aircraft types that were not available from any other model fac manufacturer at the time i have put a list down on the uh, slide i'll just go through a few of the uh, more interesting ones i think there are uh, but there's a lot there. So they have stuff like the Avro Shackleton, the Martin Baltimore and Maryland, the Blackburn Shark and Stewart, a Tupolev SB2, a Gloucester Javelin, a Fokker D21, Airspeed Oxford, Heinkel HD162, Arado AR234, Vickers Vimy, stuff like that. So they, they have a, their lineup's pretty interesting. This is only a small sample as well. They're, they're, uh, their lineup of aircraft is long and extensive, and they have some very, very interesting uh, subjects. Some of them are, we'll see a bit later on in the presentation, but I will say their box arts are on point. Oh, absolutely. Actually, that that Whitley um, kit, I've actually seen online and online on TradeMe, and they want something like $60 for it. That's actually not bad for what it is. Yeah. I I personally like the R100 box art that yeah. all the people down there. Yep. So, Frog also had a line of larger scale aircraft as one to ninety six scale models, which included the Bristol Britannia, Douglas DC seven, Vickers Valiant, Avro Vulcan, Handley Page Victor, De Havilland Comet, and Vickers Viscount. The only airship model they produced was the R100. So, they also dabbled into large. Larger aircraft in a small scale. 96 scale is a bit weird, but um, yeah. Real quick, uh, yeah, was the R100 the one that got destroyed? I'm sure they all did. Well, like the the big one that like a bunch of people were the at. The Hindenburg. Hindenburg, that's what I was thinking of. Never mind. Yeah, I don't know. No, that's not an R100. The R100, that's uh, American, I think. That one. Oh. Uh. Isn't didn't Tacom release an R100 as one of the uh, area no, ships? No, they did the Q class, which was the German Zeppelin. Ah, oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, we need more airships. I'd like to do an airship with a bunch of little biplanes flying around it. Oh yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be pretty cool. Some trenches below it. <laughs> 
Anyway, can we go to the next slide, please? So aside from aircraft models, Frog also made ship kits, such as the such as the MV Shell Shell Welder Coastal Oil Tanker, the THLV South Goodwin Lightship, the HMS Tiger, and an RNLI lifeboat. Uh, again, they do ships of different scales, three, one to 300, 400, 500, a few really weird ones. But yeah, that, uh, again, box arts are on point for their ships, especially that lifeboat one. That's a very cool one. Yeah, the lifeboat one looks neat. The flare's going up. And next. <clears throat> so, starting in 1968, Frog released around 30 ex-Hasigawa kits, that mainly consisting of modern 72nd scale jet fighters, some 1 to 32 scale World War II era fighters, and 1 to 450 scale battleships. In France, due to discomfort with the word Frog, these kits were sold under the name, sold under the Triang brand. Whilst in North America, the frog name was deemed inappropriate and the kits were rebranded as Airlines, a reference to Lines Brothers Limited, the founders of IMA and Triang. So, what the fuck? Yeah, huh. so just showing. Um, so, these are so the Viscount 800 I'm showing and the Ferry Delta, those are frog kits rebranded under the various um, company names. Seems weird that they people would take offense to the word frog, but yeah. Well, and people say snowflakes are today. <laughs> Back in my day, yeah, you renamed a model kit company. And then lastly, well, no, this isn't the last slide. So, Dun Dunby Combex Marks acquired IMA's parent company Ro Rovex Triang in 1972 after it went into receivership. During the mid-1970s, some of Frog's kit molds were transferred to factories in the Soviet Union, and the kits were later sold under the Novo brand name. Ravel acquired the molds for Second World War Axis power subjects in 1977 after they were declined by Novo. The, pr the production of Frog-branded kits ended in 1976. Some ex-Frog no or Novo kits have been reissued by Ravel and East European manufacturers in recent years. Probably the reason why Ravel are known to be not good. <laughs> but again, so I'm just showing the uh, original Frog and then the uh, Novo and Ravel kits. So you can date you can date a lot of Ravel stuff all the way back to Frog. A lot of them actually. Oh, that was the end of Frog. But I've just got a few. I found a few interesting kits I just wanted to share. So we have in top left and one thirty second scale a seventy five millimeter anti aircraft gun sky sweeper. Uh, under the Frog Deluxe models. So that looks like a what-if anti-aircraft cannon that's got a revolving autoloader. I'm pretty sure that's actually real. Is it? I'm fairly sure the Sky Sweeper was real. Yes, exactly. The HIDF. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to need to look that up afterwards. Um, they also released a Boeing B-52 Stratofortis. Strato Fortress in 1 to 317 scale, a Boeing B 47 Stratojet in 1 to 205 scale, and then in 1 to 24 scale, they released the Bristol Bloodhound anti aircraft guided missile. Why are they in such weird scales? You want to know why? why? Yes. Hobby store shelves. 
And AMT did the same thing. That's actually why there was, you know, 24th and 25th scale. So what happens is back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, what would happen is you have these companies, right? And hobby stores generally used fairly similar sized shelves. So what happened is they would scale the kit so that the box containing the parts would fit. Basically, it would be a certain dimension that would be common. And one of the things you'll notice is that a lot of uh, model kits from that period of time often were fairly similar in terms of their size. Um, and a lot of them actually still are because they are scaled to fit a certain shelf dimension. I think I heard about that. They called them like, uh, they weren't they weren't like scale. They, they were um, box scales, wasn't it? They were called. Box scale, yep. And so yeah. there you go. A little, one reason why having a hobby store worker on the podcast actually counts for something. Because <laughs> doesn't, doesn't um, Ravel... Didn't they do them as well? Um, as far as I am aware, uh, I know Ravel Italeri, to a certain extent, Ravel and Italeri do that. Because um, mm. I did they, see... They still do that, actually, yeah, believe it or yeah. not. Yeah, because I did, I did see a vintage, it was a uh, Vought Cutlass model kit at an air show once, and it was like 1 to... I want to say like 1 to 54 scale or something like that. Yep, yep. And for some reason, I didn't buy it. I didn't. I decided. I would, I saw it and was like, ah, no, nah, I don't know about that. Did another lap around. Came back. Decided I was going to get it, and it was gone. Oh, I still beat myself up for that one because it's an interesting aircraft, even if it wasn't a weird scale. Oh well, you live and learn, don't you? Yeah. Maybe that one would have been such a headache. You would have tossed it out, and you don't need that on your record. You, 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 you do see what I have, don't you? That's fair. Yeah. Like, that's- yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that was just a, uh, was that even 10 minutes? I want to just do these short little exposés on model his, model company histories because I figured it would be uh, interesting just to find out more about your hobby, basically. I oh, like the idea nice. and the history is fun. Yeah. All let's talk about what we're working on this week. <laughs> let's do it. All right, so... I've got like four slides, so bear with me. First one is showcasing the uh, my Cold War group build entry, uh, obviously for recreational. This is my weasel in southern France in a what-if Cold War scenario. It's the uh, tow weasel on a road next to a little French house with a courtyard. It's going to have a tree, a little water faucet, and all sorts of fun stuff. But got to use my Proxon foam cutter for the first time today. And uh, did you uh, enjoy it's it? Amazing! Oh, dude, as you can see, uh, <laughs> I did a lot of cutting. There is like four times more cutting done on that you don't see there. Just some fun shit. Like I, I cut bricks uh, to a certain size, and during the history we're just going over, I started making uh, cinder blocks for the courtyard. Like it's, I, I, the precision cutting with that foam cutter is spectacular and makes it so easy to do stuff. Very so, cool. Yes. Uh, next slide, please, good sir. Uh, so the next, I think it's three, two or three slides showcase my finished AFV Club 35th scale weasel with toe. So the whole idea is uh, late spring, early summer. This weasel has been on the move for about a week or two, and uh, it had just gone through a little creek uh, and then rode right up to this house where it was stopped at from the previous picture. 
So it's uh, still wet, some mud on it, but it's also very dusty. Uh, first time tying down antennas, that was fun. Uh, used Mod Podge gloss to get the water wet effect, and uh, lots of fun with this one. It's looking very cool. Thank you very much. Shall we go to the next slide, good sir? Uh, same thing, some closer up shots, some of the interior that's exposed, uh, the tow missile itself. The front, I tried to make it look like it hit the creek kind of fast, so it got some mud splattered on the top part. Uh, and then the top right picture, I, I tried glazing the Mod Podge gloss to make it look like water also hit up there. Um, that was fun. And something I realized, I know I was complaining to you guys, the decals in this kit sucked horribly they're awful uh but adding a i airbrushed dust over the decal on the bottom right like over the whole vehicle i airbrushed uh flat earth with from tamia and it gives it this dusty look right and it is i don't know how it did it or whatever but it made it to where the decal did not pop like you used to like right before then you could see the the perimeter of the decal sheet you can't see it anymore and it's just mind-boggling how a little bit of paint just covered that. It's just made it just blend in more and made it actually look painted. It's wonderful. Then the next slide. Um, yeah, some more angles. The interior added a water bottle. Um, and the antenna. I'm super proud of that antenna. That was I've always been kind of nervous about doing that. But uh, I'm glad I did it. Made the weasel look a lot better than than when they were standing up. But uh, yeah, fun stuff. It's looking awesome, man. It's looking yeah, really nice. cool. Thank you, gents. That's Ooh. my work, man. Yes. Uh, just finishing up my uh, little 48 scale Komatsu G40 bulldozer, uh, the Imperial Japanese Navy bulldozer from Tamiya. Yeah, I just you know did a little bit of stuff, getting back into the flow of modeling after some time out of it. And I'm also working on now a 35th scale PT-76 from Trumpeter. But I think, as you can see from the tan-colored editions, I'm making an HIDF. Yes. So uh, I'm Is adding the... Is that a Bradley uh, Toe missile on it? No, that's actually a uh, spotlight from a Leopard 1. Oh. Yeah. Please go sensor. into detail on what you're going to do with this. Oh, okay. So... Basically, my idea is it was after it became obsolete, turned into sort of an assault gun. Like, it's basically they, they turn it into a, an amphibious uh, SPG. So, the idea here being I took off the original turret and I basically modified the hatches. I made my own hatches so they're flat. But the idea being that the turret uh, opening is now much enlarged so people can just comfortably stand up and elevate. The idea being yes. most of the time they would just have the hatches open. Kind of like an M10 almost, if that makes any sense. Yep. Um, yep. I've added so I've added the uh, the spotlight from the Leopard One, um, and I also added the wind sensor from uh, my spare spin. And basically, I'm just going to do a bunch of modifications to make it look like it's kind of a quasi support tank slash uh, SPG. Oh, and it's not in the photo, but I added a 14.5 millimeter coaxial MG. Please send a picture nice. of that. Yeah, I will. Good lad. Oh, and I'm 3D printing tracks for this because of the uh, kit came with vinyl. What I'm doing is, you know the tracks for the uh, Hetzer? Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, do you know the tracks for the Hetzer with Ostketten? Mm-hmm. 
Yes. I modified the file so that they fit this uh, drive sprocket. That's oh, nice. So imagine a PT7. What's going to basically be is it's going to have tracks that stick out quite a bit of the sides. So like they're really good for going on the beach because they have much less ground pressure. Grippy. Yeah, literally. Yeah, no, that's. I bet it's pink. How'd you know the resin I have is pink? <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> Speaking of the old, good old Horizon Island. Yes. The only modeling I've been doing is a bit more of the uh, my M113. So I've just been uh, practicing writing, handwriting slogans on the side, and I uh, made a list of possible psychopathic-sounding uh, <laughs> flame-related. I actually got one, got one suggested to me because um, this is uh, based around the 70s, the time of disco. Uh, I'm going to try and fit um, Burn Baby Burn Disco Inferno somewhere on the side. Oh my god, oh yes. God. Yeah. But So basically I've managed to paint the turret uh, with two slogans just as a sort of test, just to see how well they look. And they look pretty damn good on it. I agree. So all I need now is to go into negotiation with Dennis so I can get a few things 3D printed and some Horizon Island decals off him. Yep, there we are. Because I got my LED filament, my flexible LED filament delivered the other day so I can um, start finding wires and start finding batteries and wiring things up. Nice. Yeah, but yeah. And we've got a lot of HIDF stuff going on lately, don't we? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just need a chat with Dennis. We really need to get that group build going this summer. I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah. Foreshadowing. <laughs> and then uh, I've also got one other thing I've got to start building soon because I've got a deadline for it. And that is a 1 to 288 scale Academy space shuttle and transport. Uh, that is a Mother's Ooh. Day present that I need, a, that I need to uh, build. So I'm going to start that soon. That one's actually going to be a YouTube video as well. Oh, nice. Yeah, and then what do we got next? We have Jack's little V-dub command 50 cal monstrosity for the Horizon Island as well. Beautiful little thing. That's him. It looks good. Torturing himself with his uh, Bombardier Altus. It looks like he's been fingering it. I mean... He um... <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, knowing him, he definitely has. It has a tailpipe for a reason. <laughs> Oh god. Jack, what are you doing to the Ultus? Ah oh, Nothing. <laughs> of course we have the gr- the Cold War group building still going. So that is <laughs> running until June first. So you still have time to join if you want. There are prizes available. Uh if you want to get in touch with us to try and join, uh you'll find the link to our Discord in the video. If not, you can just find one of us online on Instas and Instagrams and all of that. You'll you'll be able to get in touch, send us some message. We'll show you how to get into it. And yeah, it's still going on. So of course, this is a sponsored group build. So the uh, first prize has uh, been elevated by quite a bit because of some additions. Yes. Woo. And next up, uh, let's see. Garrison's had a turn. I've had a turn. Dennis, your turn. Send it. Well, the Micro Machines podcast is proudly sponsored by Scale Colors and Scale Colors 3D. Uh, we would just like to thank uh, Scale Colors so much for all the support that uh, Jeff has been giving us. And uh, definitely, if you are in the market for non-toxic airbrush paints, especially if you're looking for anything naval-related, 
definitely head to scalecolors.com. That's scalecolors.com to get all of your non-toxic airbrush painting needs. And that's not all. If you are in the market for individual link uh, resin printed tank tracks, again, Scale Colors 3D, Jeff has you covered. He has some really crazy looking uh, 3D printed tracks, as well as a couple of accessories like uh, resin welding kits and uh, actually some 3D printed tank barrels. So if you're in the market to take your kit just to that next level, uh, head on down to scalecolors.com and scalecolors3d. Thanks, and, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. And then, and thanks, just Jeff. remember, if you do buy anything off Jeff, let him know we sent you. Just mention this. You probably Don't won't get a discount it. for it. He might laugh at you, but you know. Oh, you listen to those degen- degenerates? Oh, yeah, those fuckers. (laughs) (laughs) And then finally, as always, our Patreons, our loyal supporters, Paul Gallagher and Lord Floki. They are supporting us through Patreon. Uh, If you want to support us and keep the content going, uh, just search Micro Machines Podcast on Patreon. You'll find that we do post some extra content on there. Usually the jokes that I have to edit out, mainly Garrison's jokes I have to edit out Sorry. that YouTube won't allow us to put on there. So you'll find, uh, I mean, it's not too often, you know, it's whatever I can get, but you will find uh, there are at least six or seven videos of uh, bonus content. And just as I'm editing, I'll add them on and you can see them. But yeah, if you want to support us, um, Log on to Patreon, Micro Machines Podcast, and a uh, big shout out to Paul Gallagher and Lord Floki. You guys are amazing. Love yes. you guys. If uh, if you're a bitch, don't join the Patreon. If you're <laughs> not a bitch, join the Patreon. And well, gentlemen, that was an episode. It that sure was. was. Well, if you've gotten to this point, you have been watching and listening to the Micro Machines Podcast. Thank you so much for sticking around with us, and we will see you next week. Alrighty. See Bye, ya. everyone. See ya. This is-